the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Welcome to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. This program was originally broadcast live on 93.9 KPDQ. We hope you enjoy the show. We are back 16 minutes after 4 o'clock. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show. Well, today we solemnly mark the 17th anniversary of the September 11, 2001 attack on our nation when 2,977 innocents, mostly American citizens, were murdered by 19 Islamic fascists. We offer our prayers for the families of those who were murdered and for the armed forces who are now serving on the front lines of the long war to contain terrorism. From 9-11 to this date, the U.S. has thwarted 104 planned Islamist attacks on our nation, and we must remain vigilant to avoid another catastrophic attack on our homeland. The threat abroad continues to add attacks to its indiscriminate and murderous um, record, uh, but the fight continues. Well, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show, and today, of course, like the rest of the nation, we are marking the anniversary, the 17th anniversary. It seems uh, hard to believe that it's been 17 years years of 9-11, uh, that event that uh, many of us witnessed in horror uh, as it unfolded back in 2001. Well, Americans uh, look back uh, today with tears and somber tributes as the president hailed the moment when America fought back on one of the hijacked planes used as weapons, as uh, weapons, plural, in the deadliest terror attacks on U.S. soil. Victims' relatives said prayers for their country, pled, with the, uh, nas- pled for national unity, pressed officials not to use the 2001 terror attacks as a political tool in the polarized nation we find ourselves in. 17 years after losing her husband, Margie Miller, she came from her suburban home to join thousands of relatives, survivors, rescuers, and others on a misty morning at the Memorial Plaza where the World Trade Center Twin Towers once stood. The President and First Lady Melania Trump, they joined an uh, an observance rather on 9-11 Memorial near Shanksville where one of the uh, jetliners crashed after 40 passengers and crew members realized what was happening and several passengers Passengers tried to storm the cockpit, calling at the moment when America fought back. The president said the fallen took control of their destiny and changed the course of history. They joined the immortal ranks of American heroes, the president went on to say. At the Pentagon, Vice President Mike Pence recalled the heroism of service members and civilians who repeatedly went back into the building to rescue survivors. The terrorists hoped to break our spirit, and they failed, he said. At the United Nations, Security Council members stood for a moment of silence, led by U.S. Ambassador Nikki Haley. The 9-11 commemorations are by now familiar rituals centered on reading the names of the dead. But each year at Ground Zero, victims' relatives infuse the ceremony with more personal messages and remembrances, inspiration and concern. Because soldiers are still dying for our freedom, first responders are still dying and being ill. One of the survivors uh, said, God bless America that's never, ever stopped being great. Uh, In answering the question, why do you return? Other relatives laid bare the toll their losses have taken on their families. Thomas Langer said his brother, Timmy, drank himself to death after losing his wife, Vanessa, and their unborn child on 9-11-2001. September 11 still shapes American policy, politics, and everyday experiences in places from airports to office buildings, even if it's uh, less of a a constant presence in the public consciousness after 17 years. Memorials to 9-11 continue to grow at Shanksville, where a newly dedicated Tower of Voices include a wind chime for each of the 40 
40 people killed there and Ground Zero, where work is to begin soon on a pathway honoring rescue and recovery workers. It's going to serve as a very uh, as a way rather to recognize those who became sick or died from exposure to toxins released when the Trade Center Twin Towers collapsed. And researchers have documented elevated rates of respiratory ailments, post-traumatic stress disorder and other illnesses among people who spent time in the rubble. About 38,500 people have applied for compensation fund and over $3.9 billion in claims have been approved thus far. Meanwhile, the subway station that was destroyed on 9-11 finally reopened on Saturday. In June, doors opened at the 80-story Three World Trade Center, one of several rebuilt uh, office towers that have been constructed or planned at the site. Victims' families, too, have evolved and grown. Even though I've never met him, uh, met you, she said. This is Isabella Del Corral um, of her slain grandfather, Joseph Piscaldo. I'll never forget you. Today being 9-11, a time when we remember and promise never to forget. Well, 17 years after al-Qaeda carried out the 9-11 attacks, the terror organization has been degraded, its founders killed, and many of its lieutenants captured. Yet some of those who lost loved ones on that Tuesday morning say justice still has yet to be served. Five of the men involved in the planning of September 11th hijackings, Ramzi Ben Al-Shib, Mustafa Ahmed um, Hawasawi, Abdul Al-Aziz Ali, Walid Ben Atash, and the alleged mastermind Khalid Sheikh Mohammed are currently locked up in Guantanamo Bay. But they're also stuck in a legal limbo that's left victims' families increasingly frustrated. It's outrageous the length of time this has taken. Debbie Jenkins, whose brother Joseph was among the 2,977 killed on 9-11, speaking to the New York Post this week, she added thousands and thousands of people have been affected. Families have been destroyed. They will never be closure. But we would uh, just love to see justice served. That's what we are waiting for. Well, each of the accused were captured by 2003 and then interrogated at various CIA black sites, as they're called, before getting an arraignment in 2008, according to the Post. Former Attorney General Eric Holder, under the Obama administration, initially tried to move the cases to federal court in New York City. But after that controversial plan was scrapped, the men were arraigned again in 2012. But the cases have somewhat stalled since, and the men remain caught up in pretrial hearings about their treatment by the U.S. and whether evidence officials learned through enhanced interrogation can be used in court. Ronnie Floyd writes of uh, 9-11, four things I am thankful for. 17 years after the fact, the terrorist attack of September 11, 2001 are still very much alive in our national psyche. Like most Americans, I remember the exact time and place where I was when I first heard that an airplane had flown into the North Tower of the World Trade Center. I still have seared in my mind the image of the second airplane crashing into the South Tower and can still replay the heart-wrenching footage of the towers collapsing. As we do every year this September 11th, we will give collectively as a nation to the nearly 3,000 lives. We will grieve for them uh, that were lost on that day, and we will pray a day will, uh, like this will never happen in our history moving forward. But as I look back on this dreadful moment in American life, reminded that it, I am reminded that amid the painful memories, we also have a lot to be thankful for. He offers four things to consider during this time of grieving and reflection. Brave men and women willing to die for the sake of others. God has never ceased to grant us courage 
courageous men and women who are willing to put their lives in danger in order to save the lives of their fellow Americans. We live among heroes. These men and women literally live out the example Jesus modeled for us on the cross. Greater love has no man than this, and someone laid down his life for his friends. On that day, we were reminded that no matter where we stand politically, we are all Americans. We all live under the same flag. When one of us hurts, all of us hurt. This is a timely reminder for us today during this politically charged time. We need unity more than ever. Also, the solidarity of Americans, although I'm not certain how we would uh, measure that at this point in our nation's uh, history. In the wake of the terrorist attacks of September 11th, Americans rallied together, you might recall, 17 years ago. We were deeply shaken, but we were not defeated. We came together as one to comfort and strengthen one another. On that day, we were reminded that no matter where we stood politically, we were all Americans. We all lived under the same flag. When one hurts, we all hurt. This is a timely reminder for us today. Another thing to be thankful for, security and protection of the United States of America. Well, despite the painful moments we've lived through as a nation, the fact that we live in a country that's prosperous, secure, and brimming with opportunity is a blessing in and of itself. We should never take for granted that this will continue. This is why thousands of Christians across the nation are coming together around this prayer initiative on this 9-11, praying for the security and protection of the United States. Even now, when America is struggling to come together, we all share the same desire to live at peace, secure, and protected in our nation. We can also be thankful for the perfect peace in the middle of hardship that some have ex- had experienced. John Mahoney who was a retired U.S. Army colonel who had a habit of saying the Lord's Prayer every day. He was working on the 19th floor of the North Tower on 9-11-2001 when American Airlines Flight 11 crashed into the building. Mahoney said there were thousands of stories from 9-11. Some are stories of pain and survival. Many are stories of heroism. Mine is a story of faith. Mahoney's incredible story was documented in a 2012 Religion News Service article. As he, along with a group of co-workers, struggled down the stairs to escape the chaos, he found himself mentally reciting the Lord's Prayer and being filled with peace, a peace like the one he felt as a child, wrapped in his mother's embrace. As I walked down that staircase, uh, somewhere between the 12th and the 10th floor, somewhere between our Father and thy will be done, that same feeling came over me, he says. Suddenly I was wrapped in warmth and love and comfort in that smoky, wet stairway in a burning building surrounded by a thousand frightened people. I felt wonder. I felt God's peace. And I knew that regardless of the physical outcome, everything would be all right. We can thank God for the same peace, that that same peace is available to us in Jesus today, whatever our circumstance happens to be. Like the psalmist, we can say, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil for you are with me. Again, Psalm 23, 4. Ronnie Floyd, by the way, is a senior pastor at Cross Church and president of the National Day of Prayer Task Force, looking back for things to be thankful for on this 9-11. And then David in Sarah points out that following the tragic day, the United States dramatically changed the way it approached terrorism. New government agencies and departments were created, like the Department of Homeland Security and the National Counterterrorism Center. Existing departments took on new or expanded responsibilities, like the FBI's National Security Team. So how safe are we 17 years after 9-11? The U.S. undertook new efforts to stop terrorism from public security measures, such as the Transportation Security Administration, or TSA, to intelligence programs, such as those created by Section 702 of the Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act. Yet, as we move uh, to uh, as we move to increase our security, terrorists were thinking up new ways to attack our way of life. Since that dark day some 17 years ago today, the U.S. homeland has faced 104 Islamist terror plots or attacks. Initially, the main target was military facilities and uniformed personnel. But over time, the terrorists shifted their targets toward mass public gatherings. Initially, it was al-Qaeda that radicalized and
and recruited terrorists. But by 2014, terrorists were almost entirely inspired by the Islamic State. The most active period of terrorist activity was between 2015 and 2016. But with the defeat of the so-called caliphate, the number of terror plots dramatically declined from 17 plots and attacks in 2015 to only three so far in 2018. In light of all these changes, it's still asked, is America safer today than in 20, uh, 2001? Rather, I always answer in the affirmative. There is no question we are safer today. Our progress has been uneven. Threats to America have uh, waxed and waned, and the world overall has grown less stable. But the United States counterterrorism enterprise is leaps and bounds ahead of where it once was. This system will not stop all terrorism. No system will ever be able to do that or be perfect. But it has stopped 87 out of 104 Islamist terror plots and made it much harder for terrorists to carry out large, complex attacks. But even as terrorism appears to recede, we can't rest on our laurels. There are still lessons to be learned, improvements to be made, and efforts that must be redoubled. We learned the hard way with an al-Qaeda and ISIS that uh, uh, when given room, Islamist terrorism can spread across the world and ultimately attack us here at home. And so the United States must continue to prevent terrorism from establishing safe havens abroad, improve our aviation security, continue to stress the importance of lawful intelligence programs that help the U.S. stop terrorism before they strike. And Congress should reform its oversight of the Department of Homeland Security so that our security officials get clear guidance from Congress that lets them spend more time keeping America safe. There are many things the United States can and should do to make the homeland safer. On this 17th anniversary of 9-11, we should remember the fallen and through our policies, make sure such a horrific attack never happens again to the degree that it's possible to make that effort. 29 minutes after four o'clock is the time. Portions of our program today are brought to you by Zero Res. Up next, we're going to talk with Gil Mertz, author of Forgive Your Way to Freedom, Reconcile Your Past and Reclaim Your Future. Gil Mertz, up next. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We're back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Unforgiveness is a weight that is difficult to bear. The antidote we know is forgiveness, but how can we forgive and move forward into freedom? Extending and receiving forgiveness must be an ongoing practice for our spiritual, emotional, mental, and physical well-being. But how do we do that? Well, wounds from the past can impact your life. My next guest struggled for decades in a difficult relationship with his father, one that ultimately led to reconciliation through forgiveness. Forgiveness might require opening old wounds or dealing with people they're trying to avoid or forget, but it's an important part of the Christian life. In Forgive Your Way to Freedom, my next guest lays out the biblical journey of forgiveness to freedom. He explores myths we often believe about forgiveness, looks at how unforgiveness roots itself in our lives, shares why we needn't live as a victim, offers encouragement on restoring relationships, and looks at how we can make peace with God. At the end of each chapter, he includes reflections and discussion questions and application helps. Uh, it's uh, There's an evaluative a quiz to help identify if we are in areas of unforgiveness. It's just a practical book to help us move from where we might be to freedom, toward freedom. Um, Gil Mertz is assistant to the president at the Family Research Council in Washington, D.C. He's been involved with full-time Christian uh, service for nearly 40 years and draws from a vast background of ministry with international missions, humanitarian causes, policy, uh, public policy rather, and consulting. He's a former pastor and radio talk show host. His uh, daily commentaries on forgiveness 
have been broadcast on more than 300 stations across the country. We are just delighted to welcome Gil Mertz to join us today. Thank you so much. Hey, Georgine. Uh, so nice to meet you. And uh, wow, that was a great introduction. I can't wait to hear myself. <laughs> You're even better than you think. <laughs> uh, yeah, who are you talking about there? Wow. <laughs> Thank you for inviting me on your show. Oh, absolutely. This is such an important subject because so many of us uh, carry that weight unnecessarily and we don't experience the freedom that God intends. Why do you think so many of us struggle with unforgiveness? Well, because it goes against every fiber in our being, Georgine. I mean, think about it. Um, someone has hurt me, and I'm the victim in this story. Forgiveness goes against everything that I believe, or at least culture tells me, that I should hurt back. In fact, uh, a lot of people don't want to deal with forgiveness because it requires giving grace to the very person who hurt me. And this person has already taken so much. And, you know, the last thing I want is for someone to tell me that I'm wrong for feeling the way that I do. So a lot of people resist it because uh, it just goes against everything in nature. Well, I think, too, we misunderstand what forgiveness is, what it isn't, and how to get from one to the other. Um, You write about three common responses to teaching on forgiveness. You touched on that a a moment ago. But what do you typically hear from people when the, uh, the subject of forgiveness is raised? Mostly is that this doesn't apply to me. There's no one I need to forgive, and there's no one whose forgiveness I need to seek. We just kind of easily dismiss that. And uh, and I think we become very complacent with this issue, thinking, I've always heard about forgiveness. Yeah, I, I know all about that. Um, and that's one of the reasons I put a 25-question evaluation mm-hmm. in the beginning of the book, because I've had so many people come up to me, Georgine, after they've gone through that, and it was just such an eye-opener when they see that, wow, I really do struggle with forgiveness. Um, but also, I think a lot of people, and you addressed this just a moment ago, are just very confused about it. And uh, if I were the devil, and if there was one thing I would want you to be confused about, it would be forgiveness not only between you and God, but between you and other people, mm-hmm. because I would want to keep you captive. Now, in your book, you share your own forgiveness story. I, I touched on it a few moments ago, but tell us how this became a subject that was personal to you and how you experienced freedom uh, from unforgiveness, if you will. Uh, certainly. Uh, and in the book, of course, I go into much greater detail. Yeah. And as I've shared this story in churches or conferences, I've had so many people come to me, Georgine, and say, that was my dad. And I can tell as I'm sharing my story that I, these, this is very familiar with people. But yes, I, I, I had a father who just came from a long generation of abusive men that thought this was the normal way you raise children, uh, very detached from me. Uh, and my brothers and sisters, and, uh, you know, I've, I've tried to give a lot of grace to my dad, who's in heaven now, but during those years, it was really difficult, and so when I became a man, I, I just completely drifted apart from my dad, and it wasn't until I learned that he was dying, and I hadn't talked to him in uh, over a decade, that uh, God really convicted me that I needed to try to reconcile with my dad. Um, and so um, uh, through a series of events, uh, over about a period of a month, I, I wound up leaving Southern California where I live and going to see my dad who was living in Missouri at the time. And I really had to trust God because when you want to reconcile, especially a relationship like that, you can't avoid taking some major risks to do that. 
There's no easy way. There's no simple way. Um, you just have to be very bold and trust God that it's going to be okay. And um, it was just a remarkable end to his life and our relationship that we were able to restore uh, our our relationship that had been broken for so many years. And it really encouraged me that, that others need this kind of uh, encouragement or instruction. You know, we all know we're supposed to forgive Georgine. The, the problem is we just don't know how. Mm-hmm. And that's what I tried to do in the book is not just talk about, you know, you need to do this, you ought to do this, but rather show you how to do it but really focus on the benefits of forgiveness, the rewards of forgiveness, which is freedom. And once we're set free, Georgine, there is nothing we can't do. Let me ask you about this uh, pursuing forgiveness. Your father had offended you, and yet you were called to go to him to try to reconcile. I think for a lot of us, we imagine that if someone comes to me and asks for forgiveness, then I'm willing to to, uh, release them and to extend forgiveness. But when I've been offended, it somehow feels awkward that I should pursue either reconciliation or uh, forgiveness forgiveness uh, from someone who has offended me. Can you talk a little bit about uh, about that? Because I think many of us are held captive because we feel like I shouldn't have to pursue forgiveness when I'm the one that's been offended. Uh, you're exactly right, Georgine. And this is where most people get stuck in their forgiveness journey. It would be a lot easier if my offender apologized to me. That, that would be pretty simple. But what if they never apologize? What if my offender is dead? Or there, it's, In other words, it's just impossible for me to have this conversation or ever to hear that repentance. The question then becomes, what comes first, forgiveness or repentance? You see, we tend to think repentance comes first. But you see, God was extending forgiveness to us even before we repented. The Bible says in Romans 5.8 that, that God demonstrated his love to us and that Jesus died for us while we were yet sinners. You know, Jesus didn't say to me, Gil, you say you're sorry and then I'll die for your sins. So God had already made a way for forgiveness and was extending it to me even before I repented. Now, I received his forgiveness when I repented, and our relationship was reconciled. Uh, But God was always extending that. And it's the same way, Georgine, as we deal with other people. The, The part I've got to do is I have to be willing to extend forgiveness to my offender regardless of how they respond. Because anytime I am dependent on the action of someone else to do something, that's where I get stuck. I'm, I, I can't move on with my life because I'm waiting for something that may never happen. But God has given us control where we can extend forgiveness to our offender and move on with our lives. Uh, I, I should also point out that a lot of people confuse forgiveness with reconciliation. Uh, or in other words, they'll, yes. they'll ask, now, if I forgive this person, does that mean we have to be best friends now? <laughs> no. In fact, you don't even have to like the person that you're forgiving, or you don't have to have a relationship with them. If you want to reconcile a relationship that's important to you, that's a different subject. But we should always be willing and ready to extend forgiveness. Sometimes that takes time, but that is our part. That is our role, and that's how we are set free. Now, let's talk about um, whether or not forgiving someone means you're letting them off the hook. Because I think uh, sometimes feel people feel like justice has not been served if I forgive, and there has not been accountability. Yes, exactly right. Once again, we have to understand that forgiveness has nothing to do with justice. It has everything to do with mercy. When we forgive, we're not giving people what they deserve. We're giving people what they need, and they need mm. me. You know, they need my forgiveness. Um, now they may not think that or may not say that, but I, I believe that's true. Um, and so we must be willing to extend that, again, regardless of how my offender responds, um, and it's hard to do. Again, it goes against nature. Uh, so it's not normal behavior. It is extreme. 
extraordinary behavior. It is something of the heavenlies. It is something that God does for us, and he expects us to do for others. Let's talk about how forgiveness revolutionizes your life, because uh, as you pointed out earlier, um, this book really emphasizes the benefits of forgiveness, which is what we are all called to extend to others. Yes. A lot of people think forgiveness is just a spiritual exercise, but it's far more than that. Yes, uh, it, it does impact my spiritual life. You know, Jesus said that if we don't forgive others, that God will not forgive our sins. So we live in a we live a life of disobedience before God, and that's why our prayers may go unanswered or blessings that God wants to give us, He withholds. Uh, we may not experience the joy and the peace and the freedom that we see in other people uh, because we're withholding that forgiveness. So it affects us spiritually, but it also affects us mentally, emotionally, um, even physically. And in the book, I go into a lot of clinical studies that uh, provide research on how forgiveness is not just good for your spiritual health, but your mental health, your your physical health, um, um, and your emotional health. Mm-hmm. So there is just nothing but upside when it comes to forgiveness. But let me also say, there is nothing but downside when we don't forgive. Just as no one benefits more than me when I forgive, no one suffers more than me when I don't. So you can't be forgiveness neutral. You're either enjoying the blessings of, of forgiveness or you are bearing the consequences of unforgiveness. No neutral there. We're talking about the book, uh, Forgive Your Way to Freedom, Reconcile Your Past and Reclaim Your Future. We're going to take a quick break, but we will continue our conversation. Again, Gail Mertz is my guest. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Back in a moment. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. We are back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Continuing my conversation with Gail Mertz. He's been uh, involved in full-time Christian service for more than 40 years and draws from a vast ministry background in international missions, humanitarian causes, public policy, and professional counseling. He's a former pastor and radio talk show host. We can all recover from being radio talk show hosts, I suppose. His daily uh, commentaries on forgiveness have been broadcast on more than 300 stations across the country. He and his wife live in Southern California. We're talking about his book, Forgive Your Way to Freedom. Now, some of us have uh, have yet to, to arrive uh, to recognize that we are uh, harboring unforgiveness maybe a bit of bitterness, but this book is very practical to help us move toward the freedom that God intends uh, for all of us. What are the four ways that God forgives us that we can follow to help us forgive others? Um, Great question. Um, In Ephesians 4.32, the Bible tells us that we need to forgive um, as God has forgiven us. And a lot of people presume that means, well, we should do it because God did it. But I also look at that verse to say, maybe the Bible is also saying, forgive as God forgave us. In other words, do it the way God does. And the way God forgives us, first of all, is immediately. Uh, Psalm 103, verses 8 and 9 says that uh, uh, he, he uh, is rich in love. He doesn't in, he endlessly nag and scold nor hold grudges forever. So God forgives us immediately. And I say to people, uh, you can make a commitment to forgive immediately. Now, it may take time to work through the process, and that's okay. Give yourself lots of grace, but, but we can make the commitment immediately. Secondly, God forgives unconditionally. In other words, uh, God, as we, and we just talked about this uh, a few minutes ago, God is willing to extend forgiveness to me uh, unconditionally, regardless of what I've done. God, God loves me, wants to forgive me. And we need to also extend forgiveness to others without holding conditions. Uh, thirdly, God forgives completely. Uh, he doesn't hold on to things. Again, the, the psalmist tells us that as far as the east is from the west, 
That's how far he has removed our sins. And fourthly, and this is the hard one, God forgives repeatedly. Remember when Peter asked Jesus, how many times should I forgive? Seven times? And he said, no, seven times. Seventy times seven. And so um, sometimes uh, uh, we need to forgive that same person, especially if you've been in a marriage for a long Mm -hmm. period of time. Uh, You know, the marriage is a union of two good forgivers. So sometimes we need to do that repeatedly. But we need to make forgiveness a lifestyle. So it's not just a one-time event, but it's just a regular part of our lives that we be a forgiving person. Is there such a thing as an unforgiving Christian? Ah, that is another great question. You know, it does sound like an oxymoron, doesn't it? It does. Uh, Because God has forgiven us so much. Now, here's God, holy, perfect, just in every way, and yet has forgiven us. And I think it practically blows the mind of God, if that's possible, that we would not forgive one another. So I think it's a good question to ask, how can you claim to be practicing the tenets of Christianity and not be a forgiver? They just don't go together. How do you move forward when you've been deeply wounded? Because some of the things we're talking about forgiving have been deep, profound wounds. How do we move forward uh, when we have been so deeply hurt? Yes. And anyone listening right now, if that describes you, I, I want to say I am, I am so sorry that you have been deeply hurt. Forgiveness does not change history. It doesn't dismiss what you've gone through. What happened to you was wrong when it happened, and it's still wrong. It will always be wrong. So forgiveness doesn't wipe that part of it away. I would say uh, also to you, don't withdraw from God. Don't blame God for your pain. God's the only one who can really make sense of the chaos in your life, so draw closer to God. Um, I also think that you need to seek help. When I say help, I don't mean a professional counselor necessarily. Share this burden with someone else. Talk to other people. Reach for resources. My book is one of many, but um, uh, don't try to walk the forgiveness journey on your own because you're already hurt, you're confused, you're biased. Uh, You just can't think straight. And so that's why you need people who love you enough to tell you the truth. And you also need good resources that will also uh, speak the truth to you. Because what did Jesus say the truth will do? It will set us free. And that's why you can forgive your way to freedom. Now, one of the things that you write about is that forgiveness has the power to heal our uh, wounds. We talked earlier about the benefits of uh, forgiveness. But how, how more precisely does forgiveness help to heal our wounds when we have been profoundly wounded? Well, one of the signs I think that you have forgiven is that you begin to appreciate actually what you've gone through and how God is going to redeem that into something beautiful into your life. Um, I write in the book that God can heal our wounds, but he often leaves the scars. And, uh, you know, when, when Jesus was raised from the dead, he still had the scars in his hands. I mean, if God could raise him from the dead, surely he could have removed those scars, but he chose not to because God had a greater purpose. You know, that'll be an eternal reminder when we see the nail-scarred hands of Jesus of how much we are loved and cherished. Um, our scars can teach us valuable lessons, things that we would never have learned had we not gone through that very difficult experience. It helps us to to appreciate things greater, to have a deeper understanding, to have more compassion for others. So much of what makes us who we are hasn't been through the victories we've enjoyed. It has been through the valleys that we have endured. And so there is a real healing process that goes on when we choose to forgive. 
Uh, Mahatma Gandhi said it best. He said, it is not for the weak. It's not for the, the coward. It is for the, the strong and for the courageous. Mm-hmm. Now, one of the things that can keep us tethered to unforgiveness is a victim mentality, and it can make it very difficult for us uh, to move away from something that may have become a part of our identity. How, how can we move away from a victim mentality when we're dealing with uh, moving toward forgiveness and ultimately freedom? I think one of the ways is to ask ourselves, how has this been working for me? Hmm. Uh, people may not be thinking, uh, subcon- you know, um, I, I think deep down in their self-conscious, they may actually prefer to live in victimhood. Not as much as expected of me if I'm a victim. I can solicit sympathy from others as long as I'm a victim. And so for some dark reason, they see actual benefit of staying there. But then you have to ask yourself, is this really how I want to live my life? Um, do I want to live a life of victory and of joy and of peace? Or do I always want to be blaming everyone else for my life? Uh, do I want to indulge in um, uh, 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 grudges, in uh, holding resentment? You know, the, the word resentment, Georgine, comes from the Latin word resenter, which means to feel again. Do I want to live in that pain over and over and over again? You know, we lock ourselves in these prisons. And the ironic thing is that we're holding the key in our hand. That key is forgiveness. And you can set yourself free anytime you want. Mm. Now, what about forgiving oneself? Sometimes we have um, even surprised ourselves by the depth of our own um, disappointment, things that we've done that we could not have imagined ourselves capable of. And we have difficulty forgiving ourselves. Is there a difference in the way we approach self-forgiveness in order to experience freedom? Great question, uh, Georgine. The answer is no. There is no difference. The same, princ- the same principles that apply to forgiving others should also apply to us. One of the reasons we're reluctant to forgive ourselves is we set ourselves up as the judge and we determine what should be the fair punishment. And it's always more than what the, the crime demands. And we're willing to give others so much more grace than we're willing to give ourselves. Listen, Jesus died for your sins. And if his forgiveness is good enough for you, it should be good enough for you too. In other words, good enough for God, good enough for Jesus, good enough for the Holy Spirit, it should be good enough for you. Forgive yourself. Give yourself some grace. Now, it may sound a bit awkward, and our time is almost running out, but I think it's important to ask about how people who are struggling with forgiving God might move forward. Now, God has has not ever committed an offense for which he needs to be forgiven, but we sometimes feel like we've been so profoundly hurt that God allowed it to happen. How do we forgive him in our own mind in a way that allows us to move forward in freedom and to better understand who he is, the God of love and mercy? Absolutely. Uh, There is no reference in the Bible of God ever needing to be forgiven. It's okay to question God. He's a big God. He can take our questions, but don't blame God. Mm -hmm. Much of what happens to us is the result of our own choices, the result of other people's choices, or that we live in a fallen world, and none of these are God's fault. Um, Don't pull away from God. God loves you more than anybody and more than anyone else. God is the one who can help you. So don't pull away from your best source of love. Trust God, and he'll work with you through this journey. Ah. Well, the book, once again, is titled Forgive Your Way to Freedom, Reconcile Your Past, and Reclaim Your Future. It's important to know that this is a, a, a very practical book that's designed to help you reflect. There's some discussion questions, application helps. There's also an, a, a quiz that can help you evaluate whether or not you're harboring unforgiveness. Thank you so much for talking with us today, and I would uh, certainly recommend the book to our listeners who are struggling with unforgiveness or who are not sure where they stand on the subject. Thank Thank 
you, Georgine. Your listeners are blessed to have you. Appreciate so much being a part of your show. Thank you. Again, the book is uh, published by Moody, by the way. Forgive your way to freedom, reconcile your past, and reclaim your future. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back in just a few moments after news and traffic here at the top of the hour. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Well, good afternoon and welcome to the second hour of The Georgine Rice Show. James Blind is producing and engineering today's program. Well, as Hurricane Florence, a a Category 4 storm that uh, they're telling us could rise to a Category 5 storm, takes its aim at the Carolinas. More than a million people have been ordered to evacuate. Uh, Lawmakers from three states in the monster storm's path have ordered mass evacuations for more than a million people. The governor of North Carolina, whose state alongside South Carolina and Virginia is forecast to see life-threatening storm surge and damaging winds from the storm, warned residents of the potential extreme conditions. Florence is likely to cause damaging hurricane force, they're saying. While the waves and the wind this storm may bring is nothing like you've ever seen. Even if you've ridden out storms before, this one is different, says one governor. Don't bet your life on this monster. President Trump today was uh, given an update on Florence by the head of the Federal Emergency Management Agency, or FEMA, and vowed that the government was prepared to uh, respond to the impending hurricane, adding that the public safety was his absolute highest priority. FEMA Administrator Brock Long warned that the hurricane will be a devastating event and urged people to evacuate if they've been asked to leave their homes. He said electric power could be uh, out for weeks. Well, the safety of American people is uh, uh, is his utmost concern as well. Well, the president has declared states of emergency for the Carolinas as well as Virginia, canceled campaign events Thursday and Friday in anticipation of the storm as well. Now, Florence intensified to a Category 4 storm on Monday. The storm currently uh, situated approximately 360 miles south-southwest of Bermuda is moving west-northwest at 70, 17 miles per hour with maximum sustained winds of 140 miles per hour. Um, as of uh, 5 p.m. Eastern time, Florence is forecast to near the Carolinas as early as Thursday. Could be an extremely dangerous major hurricane, according to the National Weather Service. Uh, Florence is expected to slow down considerably by late Thursday into Friday. On the forecast track, the center of the Florence will uh, move uh, over the southwestern uh, Atlantic Ocean between Bermuda and the Bahamas through Wednesday and approach the coast of North Carolina or South Carolina in the hurricane warning area Thursday and Friday, according to the uh, Weather Service. Further strengthening is forecast tonight and Wednesday, while some weakening is expected on Thursday. Florence is forecast to be an extremely dangerous major hurricane through landfall. In addition to possible storm surge, Florence could dump more than a foot of rain over the course of its duration, which could cause catastrophic flash flooding and significant river flooding. Um, A a storm surge and hurricane warning was in effect for South Santee River, South Carolina to Duck, North Carolina, as well as the um, Albemere and uh, Pamlico sounds in North Carolina, according to the Weather Service. Additionally, um, uh, they're suggesting in South Carolina in areas north of Duck, North Carolina through the state's uh, border with Virginia uh, were uh, under storm surge and hurricane watch as well. So they're saying this could uh, elevate to as much as a, a Category 5 storm as it takes aim at the Carolinas. Well, today, of course, marks the 17 uh, years since September 11, 2001, terrorist attack on the United States. The nation remembered the fallen in ceremonies at the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and Shanksville, Pennsylvania. Former White House strategist Steve Bannon says that he believes the anonymous New York Times op-ed is part of a larger conspiracy against President Trump, potentially involving several members of the administration. And newly surfaced texts between former FBI director and lovebirds Peter Strzok and Lisa Page have raised concerns about a government culture of media leaking designed to harm President Trump, a Republican congressman 
Warren says. Kind of a duh moment. Well, Clinton-era independent counsel Ken Starr said he was uh, had concerns about Russia special counsel Robert Mueller's team. As Starr's uh, new book reveals, he considered perjury charges against Hillary Clinton. And the Trump administration has threatened to impose sanctions on International Criminal Court, the International Criminal Court, if it continues to investigate alleged U.S. war crimes in Afghanistan. We'll continue to follow that story as it um, as it develops. Well, on this day of 2001, as we've been pointing out, and America's uh, single worst day of terrorism, nearly 3,000 people are killed as 19 al-Qaeda members hijacked four passenger jetliners, sending two of the planes smashing into New York's World Trade Center, one into the Pentagon, and the fourth into a field in western Pennsylvania. That was not their intention, but that was the result of some very uh, courageous Americans deciding they were not going to be a part of this terrorist attack. And on this day in 2012, a mob armed with guns and grenades launched a fiery night-long attack on the U.S. diplomatic outpost and CIA annex in Benghazi, Libya, killing U.S. Ambassador Chris Stevens, U.S. Foreign Service Information Management Officer Sean Smith, and CIA contractors Tyrone Woods and Glenn Doherty. In a brazen attempt to rewrite history, according to uh, Jason Chaffetz, President uh, Obama in a speech on Friday blamed the politics of resentment and paranoia, which he said had found a home in the Republican Party for wild conspiracy series like those surrounding Benghazi. What a reprehensible way to frame an event that killed four Americans while they waited to rescue and protection they deserve from people Barack Obama never sent. Of course, you only heard about Obama's characterization of Benghazi if you pay attention to conservative media. By and large, the mainstream media excluded references to Benghazi from their reporting of the speech. With President Trump methodically erasing the Obama legacy, this attempt to reframe the narratives around the greatest failures should fool no one, Chaffetz, a former member of Congress, writes. Benghazi is a conspiracy, Barack Obama, with a question mark. Well, he's right to be offended. The real conspiracy of Benghazi was the false narrative that the whole thing was the result of an offensive video, an objectively proven lie from the resentment and paranoia within the Obama administration. They didn't think the truth was compatible with getting Barack Obama reelected six weeks after the attack. In reality, again, Jason Chaffetz writes, um, in reality, he himself contradicted his conspiracy narrative before he even left office. Uh, Fox News' Chris Wallace asked him in April of 2016 to identify the worst mistake of his presidency, probably failing to plan for the day after what I uh, think was the right thing to do in intervening in Libya. At least he uh, got one thing right, Mr. Chaffetz points out. I mention it because today, of course, is the anniversary of that event as well as uh, the events that destroyed the World Trade Center, the Pentagon, and downed an airliner in Pennsylvania. Well, the top Republican congressman and fired FBI agent Peter Strzok lawyer traded scathing no-holds-bar accusations of deliberate dishonesty uh, today, one day after newly unearthed text messages showed Strzok discussing the Bureau's media leak strategy in April of 2017. The texts were first outlined in a letter sent by Representative Mark Meadows uh, to Deputy Attorney General Rod Rosenstein on Monday. In one of the messages, dated April 10th, Strzok tells former FBI attorney Lisa Page, I had literally just gone to find this phone to tell you I want you to t- I want to talk to you about media leak strategy with Department of Justice before you go, end quote. Well, in a revised letter sent on Tuesday, Meadows, who serves on the House Oversight Committee, writes that on the 22nd of April, Strzok texted that article is out, well done, Page. Uh, it's unclear what article Strzok was referring to. In Meadows' original letter, however, he claimed that exchange occurred on the 12th of April, one day after the, the Washington Post published his story titled FBI and obtained FISA warrant to monitor former Trump advisor Carter Page. Well, Meadows' uh, revised letter also includes a comment from Strzok to Page on the 12th of April.
several in which Strzok suggested an article about Page's namesake would soon come out. That was an apparent reference to Page, the former Trump advisor whom the FBI surveilled for months after obtaining a warrant from the uh, FISA court or Foreign Intelligence Surveillance Act court. Uh, more on that, I'm certain, in the days ahead as the uh, the knot of uh, string continues to unravel. 16 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. We'll be back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. 19 minutes after 5 o'clock, you're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. Well, denials and denunciations stacked up days before the formal release uh, today of the legendary investigative reporter Bob Woodward's book, Fear, Trump and the White House. So have uh, insults from President Donald Trump and administration officials. Well, this doesn't surprise Woodward, who gained fame for the reporting of the Watergate scandal with Carl Bernstein at the Washington Post in the early 1970s and is the author or co-author of 18 best-selling books, mostly uh, centered on government and politics. Uh, you crank up the great Washington denial machine, Woodward told the National Public Radio in an interview. I've seen this over the years, going back to the Nixon case. Well, a key source for Woodward's uh, Watergate reports was Deep Throat, who outed himself in 2005 as Mark Felt, a deputy FD- FBI director during the Nixon administration. But Felt had made uh, numerous uh, denials over the years that he was the anonymous source behind revelations that led to the resignation of President Richard Nixon. Time and again, people will deny things, Woodward said to NPR. I understand, rather, people have to protect their positions, but I've done hundreds of hours of interviews with people. Well, Trump launched another broadside against the book in a tweet on Monday morning, which I won't bother to repeat, but asked whether Trump would sue Woodward over the book. White House Press Secretary Sarah Huckabee Sanders said on Monday, I'll certainly keep you posted on that. A number of people have come forward to say that Woodward never even reached out to corroborate statements that were attributed to them, which seems incredibly reckless for a book to make uh, such outrageous claims to not even take the time to get a a $10 fact check to call around and find out if half of these quotes were accurate, Sanders said. It seems like a very careless and reckless way to write a book. Well, asked whether the White House considered issuing a list of what the Woodard book got wrong, Sanders said that would be a complete waste of time. Uh, A look at some of the denials so far. John Kelly calling the president an idiot. White House chief of staff John Kelly said he did not call the president an idiot, as the Woodward book reports. According to Fear, Kelly thought Trump was unhinged and in a small group meeting said he, well, is what I just said. It's pointless to try to convince him of anything. And he goes on from there. Uh, Then there's Defense Secretary James Mattis. Uh, He is quoted as a uh, quote is attributed to him as uh, fiction, saying that Trump uh, comparing him rather to a sixth grader. The Woodward book says that the the, uh, National Security Council meeting, Trump questioned U.S. military presence in the Korean Peninsula. Mattis told him we're doing this uh, in order to prevent World War III, according to the book. Another uh, denial that's come forward with, according to Fear, Trump lawyer John Dowd and Jay Sekulow set up a mock interview with special counsel Robert Mueller's investigative team, um, and they warned uh, the testimony means uh, an an orange jumpsuit. The book reports that Dowd told Mueller's stand-in, speaking of the president, he just uh, made something up. That's his nature. The book also says Dowd told Trump, don't testify. It's either that or an orange jumpsuit. Dowd has since um, uh, quit the uh, post without going into detail. He denied saying any of those things. Then there's former economic advisor um, who said he stole a letter. The Woodward book asserts that Gary Cohn, uh, the former director of the White House's National Economic Council, was so concerned about Trump's withdrawing from trade deals that he stole a letter off Trump's desk. That's a quote from the book. The president had planned to sign the letter, which was about leaving a trade agreement with South Korea, the book claims. On Friday, Trump said this never happened. And of course, uh, Gary Cohn has denied it. The president called a session uh, 
Jeff Sessions, a dumb Southerner, according to the book. Trump hasn't been on deep background regarding his criticism of his attorney general, Jeff Sessions. The president repeatedly has ridiculed him publicly for recusing himself from the uh, investigation of Russian meddling. Well, the book claims that Trump told others that Sessions was a traitor and said the guy was mentally retarded. Trump, who easily uh, carried the South in the 2016 election, strongly denied the comment in a tweet. And finally, Trump attacked the uh, other cabinet members and staffers. Sessions wasn't the only cabinet member belittled by Trump, according to the Woodward book. Vice President Mike Pence, however, told CBS that he had never seen Trump insult members of his cabinet or senior White House staffers. I guess Sessions was the exception. Woodward's book says Trump called his first chief of staff, Reince Priebus, a little rat and told Commerce Secretary Wilbur Ross that he was uh, past his prime. So the book is out today and people can decide for themselves whether or not it's credible. Uh, But many who are quoted in the book say that they were never actually asked if what was attributed to them was in fact true. Well, this was expected to be an easier year for Senate Republicans, but Republican Senate majority is in jeopardy as tight races uh, raise some alarm. Uh, For Republican leaders seeking to maintain control of the Senate, some races are becoming a little too close for their comfort. A prime example is Texas Senator Ted Cruz, a former presidential candidate who's now fighting to hold on to his seat. Uh, Money is poured into Texas to benefit his challenger, U.S. Representative Beto O'Rourke, of Democrat out of El Paso, who is attracting large crowds at rallies. It's about the future of our country, the big things we want to do, going from the least insured state in the country to the one that leads on universal health care, O'Rourke uh, told supporters at a recent campaign stop. A national Republican source said that while O'Rourke is getting attention, he likely won't win. But, of course, no one's cast a ballot yet. Uh, the fundraising is obviously nothing to downplay, but it's still Texas, the source said. I think the more his uh, record is litigated and folks learn more about his anti-gun open borders record, the gap grows. Again, we'll see what the election actually demonstrates. Some involve um, red state incumbent Democrats, such as uh, Joe Donnelly of Indiana, Claire McCaskill of Missouri, and Heidi Heitkamp in North Dakota. But if Texas and Tennessee uh, uh, traditional Republican strongholds are in the mix, then there is a possibility that Democrats could, in fact, have a path to reclaim the Senate. Part of Donnelly's uh, pitch is he's uh, not entirely anti-President Trump, at least not on the campaign trail in office. We'd have to wait and see. Hoosiers want a senator who works for them. Now I'll work with any president, but I don't uh, work for don't work for any president, Donnelly said. Speaking on Fox News, I work for the people of Indiana. Democrats are expressing hope the Senate majority is in play, energized by the numbers in Texas, Tennessee, and other places, but they acknowledge their incumbent senators must perform in what are expected to be hard-fought races. North Dakota, Missouri, and Florida, three very close, very tough fights in uh, very tough states for three members of the Senate, two of whom uh, at least won during Obama's uh, last election, uh, where they had to uh, have the benefit of him being on the top of the ticket. Democratic strategists are pointing out. Um, One uh, says that Democrats even have a chance in states that are Republican strongholds. For the first time, not only do they uh, have, do you have uh, Democrats defending red states, there are some Democrats who could win some red states like Tennessee, like Texas, and don't forget Mississippi. Former Representative Mike uh, Espy has a really good chance of winning Mississippi. Sources close to Majority Leader Mitch McConnell acknowledge a tough election environment, but they suggest a GOP win in North Dakota is quite possible, and they won't. Uh, they don't believe they'll lose uh, the majority in the Senate. But again, it's all speculation until it's uh, actually election day. Well, it's thought that the sophisticated electromagnetic weapons uh, were used in the U.S. Embassy staff, or rather on the staff in Cuba, and uh, that uh, Russia was behind these mysterious sonic attacks on U.S. diplomats um, that left 26 seriously ill. Um, Russia is, is suspected of using this uh, weapon that caused mysterious illnesses for the personnel there. 
there in uh, both Cuba and in China. An investigation by the FBI, the CIA, and other agencies have unearthed communication intercepts that U.S. officials say point the finger of suspicion at the uh, Cold War enemy. However, the three unidentified officials, as well as uh, two people briefly uh, briefed on the probe, uh, told NBC the evidence was not strong enough for the United States to publicly blame Moscow. U.S. officials said in July they were still investigating health problems at the U.S. Embassy in Cuba and do not know who or what was behind the mysterious illness, which began in 2016 and it affected 26 Americans. Symptoms that included hearing loss, uh, tinnitus, vertigo, headaches, and fatigue, a pattern consistent with mild traumatic brain injury, according to the State Department. The uh, department said in June it also brought a group of diplomats home from Guangzhou, China, over concern that they were suffering from a mysterious malady resembling brain injury. Russia is is suspected, rather, of using sophisticated electromagnetic weapons to target U.S. staff. That investigation is um, ongoing. And Russia launched today what it called its largest ever military drills, with hundreds of thousands of troops taking part, along with Chinese soldiers, in a show of force NATO condemned as a rehearsal for large-scale conflict. President Vladimir Putin uh, attended the games after hosting an economic forum in Russia's far eastern city of Vladivostok, where his Chinese counterpart Xi Jinping is one of the prominent guests. The week-long war games, dubbed Vostok 2018, or East 2018, have kicked off in far eastern Russia, uh, the the defense minister said. Taking part in the drills are about 300,000 soldiers, 36,000 military vehicles, 80 ships and 1,000 aircraft, helicopters and drones. Some 3,500 Chinese troops uh, took part in the games as well. The defense ministry released video footage of military uh, vehicles, planes, helicopters and ships getting into position for the initial stage of the drills. Putin praised Russia's increasingly close ties with Russia as he met with Xi at the economic forum in Vladivostok on Tuesday. We have uh, trustworthy ties in political, security and defense spheres, the Russian leader said. Xi, for his part, said the two countries' friendship is getting stronger all the time. The drills, which also include Mongolian soldiers, have been condemned by NATO as a rehearsal for, as I mentioned, large-scale conflict. I can only hope that that is not in the near term. And a Google executive leaked email reveals uh, efforts to increase Latino turnout prior to the 2016 U.S. presidential election and the executive's surprise at Donald Trump's performance among Latino voters. The 675-word email, first obtained exclusively by Fox News Channel's Tucker Carlson tonight, was written by the tech giant's former head of multicultural marketing and details a range of efforts to increase Latino turnout, including the support of a partner organization that helped to drive voters to the polls. We worked very hard. Many people did. We pushed to get uh, out the Latino vote with our uh, features, our partners, and our voices. But at the end of the email, the author wrote that Latino Googlers are probably hurting right now and that the election results are tough to handle now that we know uh, not all of us were against this, referring to some Latinos who did, in fact, support the election of Donald Trump. 30 minutes after 5 o'clock, we'll be back. You're listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. It's aired on 93.9 KPDQ. Good afternoon and welcome back. You're listening to The Georgine Rice Show. I received an email earlier today, some of you may have as well, from Luis Palau. And the subject line read, Praise the Lord for all he did in Grand Rapids. Uh, he, um, Luis Palau writes, I just returned home from Grand Rapids. What a week. The Lord moved in powerful ways through this latest evangelism campaign. More than 30,000 people flooded downtown Grand Rapids this past weekend for the two-day culminating festival. The good news was clearly shared rather multiple times throughout the festival 
days, and hundreds of people responded to the gospel invitation, turning their hearts to Jesus Christ. In total, more than 1,830 people made public confessions of faith as a result of the entire campaign, praise Jesus. Again, quoting Luis Palau, this campaign was far more than the two days of festival outreach. Additionally, City Fest featured multiple outreaches at prisons, university outreaches, and evangelistic luncheon for women, evangelistic outreaches and luncheons for the Latino community, and an evangelistic gathering for business and civic leaders in the week leading up to the festival. And here's some of the amazing facts from the entire campaign. There were 10 evangelistic events, a total of 39,000 people attended. That's a conservative estimate. There were 220,000 who viewed the festival online, and there were 1,833 decisions to follow Jesus. Counselors, 2,000 of them were trained and on hand for the event, and there were 435 partnering churches. He continues to write that this never gets old. I love festival evangelism. I love proclaiming the good news, and I'm so blessed to be working with friends like you who make these festivals possible. Sharing the gospel is a community effort, and you played a vital role, referring to those who support the ministry. Through your prayers, giving, support, encouragement, you helped make this harvest in West Michigan possible. Because of you, thousands of people have found a new hope in Christ. Through this effort, they found peace, forgiveness, joy, and the assurance of salvation. Thank you for your partnership to share the gospel with each sector of society in West Michigan. It is our greatest joy to celebrate what God is doing. What a blessing that still in this country, we can hold an open uh, open air festival such as the Luis Palau Festival that took place these last uh, this last weekend, and people can hear the gospel. In China, men, women of uh, and women of faith are facing increasing hostility from the state, um, from internment camps to having to share their home with a government official to seeing their Bibles seized. I've carried Bibles into the People's Republic of China for those who desperately wanted them, and it breaks my heart to consider that just uh, having the Word of God um, can uh, can be considered a crime in that country or, or certainly violate the authorities' uh, plans. Authorities in central China's Henan province, they're ratcheting up pressure on unregistered religious establishments. They're called underground churches here in the West, with the intent of shutting down at least two-thirds of Christian churches there. Observers say the aim of the policy from China's top leader, Xi Jinping, appears to be to contain the growth and spread of Christianity in the country and tighten controls over religious groups. Now, what he does not know is that you cannot simply shutter a facility and put an end to the church. Um, That has been the history of the church in China, and yet it grows at a rate that is uh, staggering. Well, the province's uh, crackdown on Christian churches has intensified since August, with at least four churches in Nanyang uh, City being raided at the break of dawn on Wednesday, according to Jonathan Liu, a priest with the San Francisco-based Chinese Christian Fellowship of Righteousness. He's based in the United States. He said local Chinese church sources have told him that uh, unidentified police and local government officials showed up at the Henan Church without court-issued search warrants, so they were even outside of the law there that frowns upon the church. The unidentified police and local government officials were said to have removed church crosses inside and out, blotted out church slogans on the walls, vandalized or confiscated church-owned properties before closing them down, um, and followers who resisted were either beaten or taken away. Um, This is the state of the church in China as the pressure continues to grow. And then Christianity Today is reporting that Beijing authorities threatened to close Zion Church last month after the 1,500-member congregation, one of the Chinese capital's largest house churches, refused to install surveillance cameras in its sanctuary. After services on Sunday, officials delivered on their threat to um, the unofficial Protestant congregation, which meets in a renovated hall in northern Beijing. Zion is now banned and its uh, materials confiscated, uh, Reuters is reporting. On Sunday, the Beijing Chaoyang District Civil Affairs Bureau said that 
By organizing events without registering, the church was breaking rules forbidding mass gatherings and were now legally banned, and its illegal promotional materials, which is probably evangelistic or teaching materials, had been confiscated. The news agency reported citing images of the notice and confirmation uh, by churchgoers. I fear that there is no way for us to resolve this issue with the authorities, the pastor of Zion, uh, Jen Ezra Mingri, told Reuters. China Aid reports that Zion, the biggest house church in Beijing, had decided it will not uh, be swayed by the ban and instead hold services outdoors. The strategy echoes how another noteworthy uh, Beijing house church, Xiao Wang, responded to similar problems back in 2011. Churches will continue to develop. Blocking the sites will not uh, will only intensify conflicts, Jin told. And again, that's the pastor of the Associated Press. Zion had received a letter from city authorities in April asking the church to install 24 closed-circuit video cameras in the building uh, for security reasons. This is the sanctuary. Reuters uh, had previously reported the church decided that was not appropriate. pastor told the agency our services are a sacred time. Following the church's refusal, state security officials and police started to harass churchgoers, going as far as uh, contacting their workplace, asking them to promise not to go to church. The church was in the process of being evicted from the building it occupies, despite assurances from the landlord that it could rent the facility until 2023. Uh, And it goes on from there. And then we read that Chinese uh, Christians have one month to tell their government what they think of these proposed new rules that ban the sharing of prayer, Bible reading, baptism, communion, and other forms of religious activity online. China's State Administration for Religious Affairs posted a draft of a new regulation, and that was uh, yesterday, online uh, religious activities that would forbid the streaming of religious ceremonies live on the Internet, including prayer, preaching, and even burning incense, according to the uh, Asia News. The new measures contained in 35 articles um, are much more restrictive and analytical than regulations on religious activities in real life uh, that went uh, into effect in February. For example, they established that anyone who wants to open a religious site must seek permission from the authorities and be judged morally healthy and politically reliable. Hmm. Organizations and schools that receive the license can only publish didactic materials via the Internet in their Internet uh, internal network, accessing only through a registered name and password. The rules emphasize that such organizations cannot try to convert someone. In other words, you can't share your faith with anyone outside the group, and they cannot distribute religious texts or other materials. They're still in draft form and await comments from the public, as if that would matter. But as is almost always the case, the draft is, in practice, the final text. SARA stated the news measure, the new measures rather, are intended to um, regulate internet religious information service activities and maintain religious harmony and social harmony. It asks for a public feedback by the 9th of October via its website and by email or regular mail. The previous real-life restrictions were also proposed in September and finalized in October before being implemented uh, the following February. So while I rejoice in what uh, God did with the Luis Palau Evangelistic Association, I am so grateful that we have the freedom here to call our our neighbors, our fellow citizens, to come together in worship and to consider the claims of Christ. Um, I'm reminded of places like China, where it's becoming increasingly difficult for believers uh, to congregate and to share their faith outside their already established uh, communities of believers. Uh, But we know that China and in other places where these kinds of restrictions take place, believers are not deterred by uh, that kind of discouragement on the part of the state. But the church has continued to grow under under much worse pressures than these. And we uh, can continue to pray that God will not only uh, teach us by their example uh, and their resolve to follow him, even at great cost, but that he would allow the church to continue to grow not only numerically, but in terms of their uh, love of God, their understanding of him and uh, their place in
peace in his kingdom. Coming up, we're going to remember 9-11-2001, an anniversary no one wants to remember, but we promise we will never forget. Thanks for listening to the Georgine Rice Show podcast. If you'd like to download a podcast of the show or would like more information on today's guests, please visit the show at kpdq.com or on Facebook. Follow the show on Twitter at G. Rice Show and like us on Facebook. And join us live every weekday at 4 for more critical thinking for critical times on 93.9 KPDQ. Three-star general Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal records to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.